Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre. Today our guest is Dave Ramsey with Workflow Data. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. So I'm having you on because we had talked about you on an episode of the podcast recently because you built this cool tool called FM X-Ray Specs. Thanks. <laughs> it's a, it's a, did you build it or do you have people at your organization build it? No, I, I did. Um, I'd been looking for a project for a while that I could use to uh, really dig into the new uh, AppleScript Objective-C APIs in Snow Leopard. And when I started playing with trying to do the XML extraction from a FileMaker layout, I realized I needed a lot more interface than I was going to be able to get from pure AppleScript. We should so, maybe we should maybe take a couple steps back. Yeah, I want to talk about sort of the direction that your company takes, the FileMaker part of it, and the non-FileMaker part of it that you focus on. But really, like introduce what FM X-Ray Specs is and why people are loving it so much. Okay, uh, FM X-Ray Specs is a tool that. Uh, it's an external application, not a plugin or a FileMaker Pro database, that uses AppleScript to scrape the XML that FileMaker uses to define all the objects on a layout. So if you go into layout mode, do a select all and a copy, what FileMaker is actually stuck in your clipboard is a big chunk of binary XML. And so what FMX Specs does is automates that process and then runs the XML through some XSL and in the long run ends up pre presenting to the user a very nice uh, tabular layout of all of the little parameters for all of your fields, whether they're enterable, whether they're quick findable, whether there's a pop-up list assigned, um, the rotation of the field, all these other little parameters, and then places them into separate columns that are then sortable and searchable. It also handles all of the script triggers, so all of the triggers and parameters that are assigned to every field, um, and presents those to the users, and it does this relatively quickly. And it's, it's basically a way to read information. It's basically it's all the information you can get by using inspectors, but presented in a much more usable and collected way. Yes. I, I usually find that what I, if I need to know every single place that a field appears in a particular system, then I need to use one of the larger inspection tools. Right. Usually I'm focusing on one single layout. I've got one layout that's a problem or I have an issue and I just need to know about this and doing a full DDR and then a full import just to get that information just takes too long. So uh, with a button press, um, the, I think the largest layout we've thrown at it is about 1,200 fields and it took it about 30 seconds to generate all the information. For most layouts, it's taking two to four seconds to spit back all the information that a user can have. Hmm, I have a really big complex layout I'll have to throw at it. I've, I've played with it for smaller things, but not with big stuff yet. I'll have to do that. Please do. There was a lot of optimi optimization that we did on it because uh, just for dealing with larger systems, a thousand fields used to cause it a serious problem. Now it just sits there and crunches for a while. And, you know, it's a lot of data. It's, uh, I think it's about a hundred data points right now maybe 120 per field. And wow, yeah. in the next version, that's going to come close to doubling. Wow. 
So, and because this is Apple Script based, it's a uh, Mac only, Windows out of luck for the moment. For now, for now. If we've got a lot of people who really want a Windows version, they should let me know. Um, so far, I have not gotten. It, everyone who's asked for one has asked for one as a curiosity. You know, they they have the Mac version. They would also like to have the Windows version, as opposed to, oh my gosh, I must have the Windows version. Please get it to me as soon as possible. You know, I'm not exactly sure why it is, but I've noticed that you know there certainly are some developers who develop FileMaker databases who use Windows and love Windows and don't have a Mac at all and don't want a Mac. But most FileMaker developers develop cross-platform databases, or maybe even just for Windows market, but they do all their work on a Mac. I certainly do. Yeah, that's kind of the way I do it too. But I think maybe that's because FileMaker, the developers who are doing a lot of work kind of have been doing it for a really long time, uh, even since before, say, 1996, which is the year that FileMaker became cross-platform. <laughs> well, and, and most developers, if they are starting on the Windows side and focused on the Windows side, never step into FileMaker in the first place. There are other tools for people who don't care about cross-platform. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so they maybe would be doing like SQL Server or Access or right. Visual Basic or, yeah. If we really cared about really, really cross-platform, we'd all be doing PHP and MySQL. Yeah. <laughs> I have <laughs> this one application I'm working on. Um, they have a web version of it, and so they think, wow, this is great. It's totally cross-platform. The web version requires Internet Explorer. <laughs> and, and I think it requires a specific version of Internet Explorer. It does not work with the current one for like Windows 7. It has to be an older one. And which has, I just looked at a, a, a chart, and when, an Internet Explorer now is below 25% of browser traffic on the entire internet. Wow. I, I have a customer that uh, they sat down and they, they did a serious design discussion, and they said, are we ever going to use anything other than Internet Explorer? And they said, absolutely not. And so they developed their system, and everything's fine, and a year later, the entire company moves over to iPhones, and there's iPads running around all over the place, and you, you can't make that assumption. Yeah, for sure. So um, what, what went in? Did you make this for, for clients, or did you make this uh, FMX respects for something that you needed to do internally? What was the motivation behind it? Uh, it initially, most often... One of the questions that I have to ask a database or a particular layout is just give me a list of all the fields on this layout. And depending upon the methodology that you use, you're either digging around in the data viewer or you are putting together some little script thing that's going to add these up. Or I would usually use Apple Script just because I'm an old school, you know, like 1994 era Apple Script person. Um, but all of those had limitations. So I said, you know, I, I keep hearing that all of this is in the XML that's in the layout. Let me just see if I can grab that. And once I grabbed it, I realized there was a bunch of other interesting information in there. And after I'd grabbed half a dozen data points, suddenly I needed an interface. And once I had an interface, I had room for every other piece of data. And so it just kept expanding and expanding. And, and the better the tool got, the better the tool needed to become. And it, it really, to a certain degree, took on a life of its own. It was started as a curiosity, then expanded as something that I would use internally. And then everyone that I showed it to said, wow, that's awesome. When can I have it? <laughs> so it slowly then ended up becoming a product, which is actually kind of an obnoxious process. Kind of, about, but... 
but I think that's actually the way a lot of things start. I bet you that's the mm-hmm. way like base elements and inspector and uh, my, mm-hmm. f- my FM search results and CC pivot and a lot of things I think start that way. Probably yeah. seed code calendar, you know, <laughs> where they sort mm-hmm. of like I, solving this problem for themselves. And then you develop all this extra expertise around that problem because it fascinates you for whatever reason. And then you flush it out and make an actual real thing and start selling it. I think in your last podcast, Court was talking about the same thing with uh, CC Pivot. Yep, Court was here. They started looking at the problem and, and said, hey, you know, we could probably really generalize this and turn this into something that could just be attached randomly. Court was just here in Portland last night. He was uh, presenting at our FileMaker meeting. Really? Which was fun. Was he that sh- presenting should- CC Pivot? Or, yeah, uh, he was showing CC Pivot, you know, making its big tour, selling it. You should consider touring the country with your copious spare time selling your software. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, all that extra free time. Meeting tons of FileMaker developers. Well, before I go that far, I've got another version of this one to do, and then there's a second tool that follows this one. And those two are going to get released before I'm really going to bother, you know, running around and jumping up and down and saying, look at this, look at this. So now Lion is out. What's the compatibility story for Lion? Uh, The only reports that I have are that right now it doesn't work very well. Um, It doesn't quite complete the data processing pull. It looks like a conflict with uh, the ARC automatic resource counting stuff. But I'm checking into it. That's soon. Um, that'll probably be as part of the 1.1 release, which will also include all the font styling information. So oh, there's cool. about half of the XML that I was throwing away. But have you ever noticed that you have a layout and there's two fields that are the wrong font because they got copied from someplace else? Yes. Or the wrong font size or centered instead of left adjusted. Yeah, which or is impossible to find. Yes. Yeah. Well, those will be added to FM X-ray specs in 1.1, and that's when I'll really be tackling Lion. Awesome. Part of my difficulty is right now I'm absolutely terrified of doing something to break my current machine. So I have to find a way to upgrade to Lion without having any chance of actually changing my core development machine to Lion and trying to boot off of an external drive, then unmount the internal drive, then do the install without anything going wrong just has me a little nervous right now. Yeah, that's I could see that. You don't have a second <laughs> Mac you could use and just put line on that and play with it and test it? That's kind of what uh, I did. I, I've considered it. Um, I, th- there's a bunch of extra machines floating around here, but most of them are in general use. Um, and I've gotten to the point where I'm really focused on basically one particular machine. I've got my laptop. It's got everything that I need. Um, but the external drives are fine. I just need to figure out the exact mechanics of making sure that I don't mess something up. I put line on my MacBook Air 11-inch, sort mm-hmm. of my traveling machine. And uh, everything worked perfectly, pretty much, except FM X-ray specs. <laughs> I actually haven't run into problems with it yet, but I haven't really played with it. I've only had it for, what, a few days now. And when I went back to my other machine, it, it felt so clunky. Like, all the cool little features of, of Lion, mail being better, iChat being consolidated, the finders nicer, the smaller scroll bars, 
my old computer just felt weirdly clunky in a way that exactly is what Apple wants it to feel like. And so I just upgraded my uh, other machine to line, boom, and <laughs> all well, good. Because, because we do so much work with process automation, uh, Apple scripts, and interactions between applications, doing a system upgrade can actually be very, very complicated within this organization. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it doesn't do me any good to be able to sit down on my laptop and write an Apple script that will be used to produce 50,000 PowerPoint slides or 100,000 HTML pages and then hand it off to someone on my staff to process the data and it doesn't work because they're running a different version of the operating system. And that sort so, of ties into what your, what, um, your company does. So yes. the other things you do other than make this cool new tool. And so process automation is your main focus. Generally, yes. Um, the company started as a your relatively typical FileMaker consultancy with a splash of AppleScript. I had a background, but there wasn't, you know, a lot of customers weren't asking for it generally. Um, and then I got involved with the uh, textbook publishing market segment, and there's a lot of use for process automation there, uh, particularly things that can be a little bit squishy because the raw material information coming into the process is always of varying qualities or produced with different kinds of tools. Um, so then what we did is just put together a whole stack of processes that we could use to convert one kind of or almost any kind of data into some other kind of data. In its simplest form, if I said, here is an XML file, please produce for me an HTML file, there's a relatively well-established set of technologies for doing that. If I hand you a set of Quark Express pages and say, please give me PowerPoint slides, That's the technologies a... that go in the middle are, are a little bit less clearly defined. That kind of space is where we've been doing a lot of work recently, within which role FileMaker plays a huge part. Uh, it's a fantastic little piece of middleware. I can make almost any data source talk to it in some way, whether I'm coming out of something SQL-based or need to get the data in, do some complex merging, which would be extremely painful in AppleScript, but is very easy in FileMaker, spit out some results and use that to feed into the next process, it ends up being a kind of a central data hub repository for almost every process that we run. Right. So earlier in your company's history, you actually did FileMaker Consulting as your main or one of your main lines. But lately, you've just mm -hmm. been using FileMaker as the engine to drive all these other businesses you've discovered. We're about 30%, maybe 40% still, you know, FileMaker Consulting. Okay, 30. But... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, the, the expansion in these other markets for us has just been really, really good. It's all about the business in the end. Absolutely. When I started, everybody was afraid of the computers because they were afraid the computers were going to steal everyone's jobs. Then we found that it's actually the overseas vendors who are going to steal everyone's jobs. And now with process automation, I've been able to make a Central Ohio, Central Ohio tech person as cost-effective as a room full of overseas people. And so we're competing directly with uh, outsourcing firms all around the world on price 
and the automation gives us a large amount of consistency in what we produce. That's very cool. Clients got to love that. Yes. So what other types of conversions do you do? So you mentioned PowerPoint slides and weird things of going from Quark. Uh, magazines, any, um, is it, what's your typical client? The, the typical client at this point is a, a medium to large scale textbook publisher. They're producing 300 to 1,000 textbooks a year, um, usually college, though we're starting to get into some schools level stuff. And these are people who they don't when they ask for a solution to a problem they don't need it once they need it a thousand times right and so classically one of the problems that we bumped into was they would love to buy a double clickable apple script or filemaker solution where they press the import button press the export button and everything works and that just in with the shifting data quality and the inconsistencies making that kind of solution never really works. That's for sure. And so what they would usually do is just throw up their hands and say, okay, we'll do this manually. And they would send it overseas. And what we said was, I can't automate the entire process, but I can automate 90% of it. And that remaining 10% is complicated. And I can't train your staff how to do it, but I can train my staff how to do it. So instead of us sitting down and having a training where I teach 40 people in your office how to use this new tool, let's instead, I'll hire two people myself, put them in my offices, I'll maintain them, and I'll maintain the software at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, we will process any of that data that comes up. So instead of you know, your standard FileMaker, we generate 30 invoices a year, we're generating 30 or 40 invoices a week, and they're for substantially smaller amounts, but it adds up over time. Mm -hmm. It's your classic uh, selling the milk instead of the cow approach. Cool. So then the customers don't have to worry about it when their process changes. They come to me and say, hey, we've just moved from Quark to InDesign. Is that okay? And I say, sure, sounds good. Because almost everything on the Mac side within these markets is relatively Apple scriptable. Sure. And if they aren't, I'll do something more elaborate like script the interface, much like we've done with FMX race specs, mm -hmm. where there's no easy file maker way to get into layout mode. But I can say, hey, there's a menu option up there. Just click the menu option. Don't ask me what it's going to do. Just go into that mode and then we'll do something. And so you can get from that point what eventually happens is that for the parts that are heavily automated, we have the staff become the human logic element in a much larger automated process. We don't need the person to do every single step, but the person is there watching every step as it goes along and making sure that everything stays perfectly in line. And anytime something steps out of line, they can just nudge it back into place and then everything keeps flowing. Hmm. Cool. The other metaphor I use a lot is something like a machine shop. So I have machinists who are very skilled in doing the work, but they aren't actually 
you know, scraping off a little bit of metal, they're using a, a, a larger lathe or something like that yeah. to perform the shaping. And then I'm the yeah. guy who's running around making new machine tools based upon the weird needs of the customers. Yeah, they're, they're CNC router operators, and, and you're the uh, CNC programmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good metaphor, too. Exactly. So that sounds like a it's a, it sounds like a very different type of an operation than most FileMaker consultants, but I can easily see how that's working great for you. It's it's working fantastically. Between the last two recessions, we were doing about sixty percent growth in gross sales per year, year over year. Wow, which is a expansion rate that's difficult to maintain, but we're pulling it off. So are, are textbook publishers starting to go towards um, producing um, textbooks not in print, but but like available for Kindle and for um, iPad? Yes, I think, they are. But that really doesn't have any effect on you because they're still producing a document that has to be formatted the exact same way as a print book. Mm-hmm. So and, at some level, they're, they're migrating more and more to XML-based workflows and things like that, which just give us more access to the information. Yeah, it gives richer metadata so that the book published can be even more beautiful. Have you seen that, um, the uh, Al Gore book uh, for iPad? There's a, uh, I have not. There's an e-book I have heard of it, but I it's, seen it. It's really amazing. I, I hope that all books or more books are published that way. <clears throat> Regardless of how you feel about Al Gore and, and what he's trying to accomplish, it's a book about... Mm-hmm. Um, global warming and environment and stuff like that but it's just a really engaging and beautifully designed book there's a ted video on it from the guy who made it and he's definitely talking about making more books um with that technology but as you flip through the book and you see a picture you just tap on the picture and it goes to full screen or if it's a movie you tap on it and it shows the whole movie and there's interactive graphs and stuff like that Uh, i could boy i sure wish textbooks were more like that it's um the the most complicated part of the process is actually the people in the publishing business changing their perspective on what business they're in. Because for the last 100 years they've been in the textbook publishing business. They make books. Right. And now they're not. They're in the information propagation business. And so You know, 10 years ago, anything done with a website or any sort of companion media to a textbook was still seen as a secondary thing. And now they're slowly migrating to the point where these are just different spokes on the same wheel. The information is in the center, not a textbook, but the raw information that they're trying to propagate. And how many different ways can they get that out in a cost-effective manner? So when you're dealing with a large volume, reproducibility becomes very important. Of course, they were really always in the information dispersal business. They just, they were, the only really way to do that was textbooks, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Boy, I'm, I'm thinking about how my Aristotelian logic book would have just come alive and, <laughs> and how often that, that changes. No, not really so much. <laughs> That's I, actually I, still one of my most prized textbooks from college is that one. I'd really like to see a programming textbook that next to the code sample was a text region where you could stick the code in and run it right there in process. Oh, yeah. Now you're talking. So your programming textbook becomes more like a programming workbook 
that has all of your code. You could throw in variations. There could be exercises associated. And at any point, you can just drop down into the coding environment, make some tweaks, stick it in, see how it goes. And then you start getting into the collaborative elements of so once the book knows what you're typing in association with a particular exercise, it can connect you with other people who are working on the same exercise at the same time, or then time shifted using some kind of forum system or something like that. Yeah. Things get a little crazy. You know, I kind of think that same thing's going to be happening in a lot of different things. You know, have you seen some of these apps um, that, that look like, that are anatomy apps for iPhone and iPad? Mm -hmm. And they, they take away the whole skeletal system and you can see exactly where everything is and they show you all the muscles. So imagine like a biology textbook where you can like just keep drilling down and perform a fake surgery on a... <laughs> have you ever tried to look at an exploded diagram to see how things fit together. I, personally, I've got a relatively good spatial sense, but I still have difficulty looking at an exploded diagram that's, you know, there's the together state and the not together state. Right. And I still can't figure out quite how all the pieces go together. But if you can actually show someone the transition between those and every step of the process of disassembly, suddenly your brain can connect before and after and all the pieces in between and you know that that just becomes much more compelling oh yeah and i think it's going to stick with you a lot longer this is going to be so fun to watch this whole transition this is an extremely yeah. exciting time to be in technology yeah. boy and you're in such a great position <laughs> of being the sausage maker yes Maybe we should talk about the pricing and availability and the website where you can find FMX Ray specs would probably okay. be a good thing. Uh, the website is workflowdata.com. And if you go to workflowdata.com slash tools, you will find the, uh, the site. Hang on just a second. And it's, uh, you can buy the, buy the program, but there's also a 30-day trial version of it. Yes. Um, it's odd enough that I didn't want anybody... Stuck Either not it, believing yeah. it or not seeing it, they can just try it, stick it in. It's not a uh, plug-in, so you're not going to have to reboot FileMaker. It really can't have an impact on your overall FileMaker stability. Um, it's, a, it's a product of my own conceits having to do with <laughs> trying to put together tools like this. Um, so yeah, 30-day trial, and then the software is... $99 for a single-user, multi-computer uh, license, or $4.99 for a uh, site license for an entire organization. Um, that's the current pricing. Once that 1.1 update comes out, that will probably be going up, just because there's a lot of fun going on here. Yeah, sure. How are sales going so far? Pretty good. Pretty good. The response has been fantastic. Um, almost everybody that I've talked to really likes it. The only people who I hear anything that I'm not thrilled about from are the people who like the logo more than they like the software. <laughs> so <laughs> I do have one fun, purely FileMaker thing that'll be a little bit more general that yeah. I'd like to share. If for no other reason, then hopefully it will force me to actually do the blog post on this. I haven't heard anybody else ever talk about this, so yeah. I think it's new information, but if you know otherwise, please let me know. We were doing some research in performance on multi-predicate relationships. Okay. And what we found was that the order of the predicates matters. Really? Yes. Huh. Well, good, then it seems to be new. It's new to me. 
<laughs> I never would have guessed that. So, so my brain has a tendency to think about these problems in a hierarchical manner. Uh, we started looking at it with a customer who had a particular field that existed in every single table in their system. It was the company code. So that you could separate out every data set by whether it was the U.S. division of the company or the uh, European division of the company. Right. And so it's either company code of one or two. And every single relationship had company code to company code as the very first item. And what we found was that if you go the opposite direction and go from most specific field to least specific, in general, you can look at something in the range of a 30% speed increase. Huh. So yeah, what so FileMaker seems to do is run them in sequence on the result from the previous one. This is purely black box analysis. Right, Somebody because, who really yeah, knows each... the Draco engine can tell me that I'm entirely wrong about how this happens. Yeah, so the way it, it does seems make to sense. work yeah. Yeah, is that it will narrow by the first predicate and then apply the second predicate to the result. So if you handed a smaller set out of the gate, each successive predicate will run faster. One of the obsessions I have is very, very large sets of data. And I downloaded the Google Ngram project, which is every single word that's ever been appeared in any book published since mm -hmm. the year 1500 in English. Right. Which is a significant number of words, like, I don't know, 130 million or something like that. And the table only has a few fields in it. It has like what the word is, what the year it appeared, the number of times it appeared in that year, and a couple of other things. <clears throat> so I made a relationship. I said, well, let me just give me a condensed list of all the words without any other stuff, which is a much smaller table. Mm -hmm. And then I try to make a relationship to say, well, I want to see, I want to select one of those words and then have a um, run a, a range to see what year or range of years um, start and end that appeared in. So that's a three predicate relationship. Word equals word. Um, year is greater than or equal to year. Year is less than or equal to year, basically. Mm -hmm. And against 130 million records, it does not work at all. It takes a couple of minutes to even resolve one search against that large of a set of data. Oh. And so I ended up having to sort of do it a different way. I found that a multi-predicate relationship yeah, really, really starts breaking down when you have that. A single predicate was super fast. If I just wanted to show every single year, it was super fast. So what, what mm -hmm. I ended up actually doing was um, was going to the single predicate and just going to all every single record and then like doing a looping script that, that uh, got rid of all the ones that were not years that I wanted, and it ended up being over 100 times faster than the other way. But I'm really interested now about this... Um, about this other approach. Of course, year to year is certainly the most specific, or word to word is the most specific. It narrows it down to a very small number. But then still within that, just filtering on the years took way longer than it, than it seemed like it should. Well, and, and I, I can't tell you what impact using a ranged or greater than less than kind of relationship is going to have on that. Um, we were looking at, you know, equals relationships, yeah, matching. Yeah, yeah. So you can, you can use that how you like. Yeah, I didn't but. try that, but I can try that too. So that's really interesting. So yeah, maybe that data set example wouldn't be the best way to test that, but that's fascinating. So yeah, so more specific to least specific is, uh, that to totally does make sense to me that that, makes, that would make it faster. I was hoping I was it was using, more than 30% though. 
<laughs> yeah, no. Unfortunately, it's not the kind of speed increase that's going to take you from, wow, this is horrible, to, oh my gosh, this is great. Um, it will either save you some time on large processes or on small processes. We've seen it just shave enough off that it goes from that perceived pause to no perceived pause. That kind of just just that little bit of speed increase can get you back into the realm where people aren't really noticing that the system is taking terribly long to do something. Um, when I was doing my testing, I was using Brian Dunning's address information. Oh, yeah. And built a list of zip codes and said, hey, here's 5 million people. How many people are in each zip code? City, state, and zip. Right. And it would go through and do that, and then I just reversed the order of those, and it got faster. Sure. The other one that we noticed was, and to a certain degree this makes sense, but adding predicates does slow you down even if the particular predicate isn't doing anything. So I made up my own zip code or city state zip ID and then tried the relationships just based upon that. And that gets you, and then added in back city state and zip. So I had redundant fields in the relationship and that does slow you down. Hmm. Not as bad, but it does slow you down. I love stuff like this, researching and understanding the tool better through experiment, you know, mm -hmm. the scientific method. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Dave. I really look forward to seeing you at DEF CON next week, so thanks for coming for that. Oh, thank you very much. I'm a huge fan. Cool stuff that you're working on, and I look forward to seeing more. Uh, well, we'll see if we can make you happy. 